Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Why do the big names in UFO research seem to include so few who have actually experienced UFO encounters? How do these experts view experiencers? And what is it like to live as an experiencer? Hello and welcome to the 642nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those experiential questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this afternoon we welcome a good friend for a discussion of a tough issue in the UFO community. And as always, we welcome your phone calls. The numbers are 800-449-1240, that's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, and 401-766-1240 locally. And before we introduce our guest, I want to wish everyone in the United States a very happy Memorial Day weekend. Tomorrow is Memorial Day when we honor those who gave their lives uh, throughout the history of our country so that we could have a country and uh, a free one at that. So let's honor them tomorrow especially. Every day, of course, too. Anyway, Tina Marie, Marie Cowett is an author, broadcaster, producer, editor, UFO researcher, and experiencer. She hosts the popular show Restricted Airspace, uh, broadcast from the KCOR radio studios in Las Vegas, Nevada, Nevada, as I've been corrected, and heard around the world. Tina is a native of Massachusetts, uh, right in our own listening area, as a matter of fact, but alas, she is not in the studio with us. In 2008, she moved to Las Vegas in a state that's long been a hotbed of UFO activity. She has been involved in MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, an organization we respect, and has had a number of experiences and encounters herself. Her websites include restrictedairspaceradio.org and kcorradio.com. So, Tina Marie Cowett, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Welcome, guys. The 642 episodes, I feel, uh, <laughs> I feel privileged to be part of a long-going show you guys get going on there. Well, thank you so much, and I've been on a lot of uh, shows you produce lately, too, so uh, it's always good to be with you one way or the other. It's like a give and take of sorts. Yes. So let's start. Absolutely. Indeed. So let's get right to it. So why are so few experiencers among the big-name experts in the UFO field? I think that's the $64 million question. Um, you go to these conventions, and, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to probably get on the short list of being never invited to these conferences the more I talk about this stuff. But you know what? I think it needs to be addressed. There are so many different researchers, and nothing against them. They've done great research in the field. But to research uh, contactees or abductees, take their stories, put them in a book, and then you make the rounds going around telling their story, um, profiting by it either in a book, um, going to conferences, making money from going to conferences, and these people are sitting here still looking for answers. This drives me absolutely crazy. I mean, I stopped going to conferences specifically because I get nothing from the speakers that were up on stage. It's the same 15, 20 people almost at every conference, the big names in the field. They've been in it forever. They're on Ancient Aliens. They're on all these shows. But most of them have never had an experience. Most of them have, you know, never been taken, number one. But these people who are so-called, you know, do it better out of the experiences, are the ones that are never asked, for the most part, to speak at these conferences. Uh, there are some that are asked, but very few. In fact, I got most of my information when I was first getting into this field, not from going to the conferences and actually listening to the speakers, because they were boring as all hell, and you couldn't, you couldn't even ask them a question, because uh, the way they have these conferences set up, it's so tight, they get an hour, hour and a half, they don't open it for questions. 
So I got all my stuff from talking to people who were there, who a lot of them were experiencers. And that's where you get most of your information from. And it's not from these speakers. And it's too bad that in this field today, with the fact that more and more experiencers are getting the nerve to come forward because it's, I don't want to say socially socially acceptable, but you're less likely to be thrown to the fire, uh, whether it's at work or in you know personal settings, if you come forward, that a lot of these people, because they don't have a book, I mean, let's face it, you don't have a book and you're an experiencer, you're not getting on Coast to Coast, you're not getting on any of these shows. Um, and I think that's wrong. I think experiencers need a, uh, a platform to be able to express and, and share their story. But these conferences don't want anything of it. They want the same, you know, um, and, and I'm going to really get in trouble with this, but the, the same male-dominated figures who have been dominating ufology for years. Hmm. All right. Well, yeah, maybe Tina asked, answered the second question. Well, she did, but, I mean, there's, there, are, there are a lot of, a lot of other things that this does create. Because the next question was, what kind of problem does this create? So, I mean, you've, you've touched on some of them, but are there any more, like, really deep-seated issues that this creates? Well, I think what you have is you have uh, a divide in ufology. I mean, ufology, as we define it now, should, we just should throw that whole title ufology out the window because it, as far as I'm concerned, the definition doesn't fit what we have today. You have a lot of experiencers and you have a lot of researchers. And the problem with researchers is, and I understand it being an investigator myself, nuts and bolts, you know, specifics scientific anomalies, you know, being able to have facts right in front of you. You know, if one plus one equals two, then great. But the problem with that is they, a lot of them throw out experiencers altogether. So because they throw this whole part of ufology out because you can't produce a dead alien body, you can't produce a UFO, I think they're missing the bigger picture of what's going on here. Um, there's a lot of people across the globe, and thanks to the Internet, you have access to many people across the globe who have come publicly out in these small circles. And, again, it's not something where you can get in a lot of these UFO groups or closed groups. It's, it's very, you know, you have to have an experience to get in. And they share their experiences of being taken and, you know, what's happened to them. But researchers in the field, again, these are the ones who are the most popular in the field. A lot of them have no interest in talking to an experiencer. And I'm going to throw some names out here, and, I'm, you know, like I said, I'll probably get in trouble for it, but ask Stanton Friedman next time you ask him what he thinks of experiencers. doesn't think too highly of them. Now, Stanton is a very, very well-respected person. I respect his research on what he's done in Roswell. Yeah, he wrote but, the uh, preface for our book that's coming out in January. Yeah. He's a wonderful you guy. Know, so, he's a really nice guy. He does a lot of research. But I'll tell you right now, if you're an experiencer, don't tell him you're an experiencer. He'll write you off. He has no interest in anybody who's an experiencer because he doesn't think it's a legitimate thing because he is a nuts and bolts guy. He does read. And I get, like I said, I, I get that. I really do understand that, and I do get that. But the problem with a lot of these researchers in the field, okay, listen, how many times are we going to go over Roswell? We've beaten that thing to a dead horse. I'm sorry. Um, let's go to what's happening now, which is these experiencers who are becoming more frequent, who are becoming more vocal and talking about their experiences, let's, let's start investigating them a little bit more. And I'm not saying doing a little chapter on them, you know, interviewing them, doing a little chapter and throwing 10 experiences in the book and maybe changing their name, and then you go up and talk about their experiences. Let's give a platform for these people who have had experiences to step up, share their story, let people ask them questions, 
especially other experiencers. Okay. I, let, I don't understand why that doesn't happen. Okay. Well, let, let's play devil's advocate here, Ben, for a minute uh, with Tina. And uh, we're, we're looking at um, an example, say, you know, a, a, perhaps a rare example of an experiencer who is in the limelight, Travis Walton. Why would you say he is in the limelight? Uh, as a matter of fact, Stan Friedman appeared in, in a, a rather good film that I believe um, um, a senior moment here. But anyway, another friend of ours made the film, and uh, it was rather well done, we thought, and Stan was in there and uh, commenting, you know, objectively, as he always does, I think. Uh, but Travis Walton was in the limelight in this, and uh, the case taken seriously and certainly a major experiencer. What say you on, the, on that? Why is he taken seriously and not others? I think Travis Walton is taken seriously only because of the, if you ask me, the, the media behind it. Okay. Um, you know, he's got a movie deal, all right? It was, yeah. You know, let's say there's a movie out there, book deal. That's why Travis is relevant in the field. You take Travis's story out of Hollywood, I guarantee you he doesn't even get the opportunity to speak. Ah, uh, Okay. I have okay. to ma- make a comment on the notion of another words for uh, another word for an experiencer might be here, Ben. Uh, what do you think? Uh, eyewitness. I mean, yes. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that would be a you know an interchangeable term. And just you know, as in a career in journalism, uh, I've noticed that eyewitnesses, in my opinion, have been very accurate in a lot of the. Cases I've written up, uh, non-paranormal cases, uh, you know, just as a journalist. And Ben's mom is a paralegal um, in the uh, legal firm, you know, you know, business here in Rhode Island. And she, uh, the first thing they look for in a court of law is an eyewitness. Or maybe it's because if somebody hears hears a, a witness report and it doesn't mix with the current paradigm of how people think this phenomenon works, then maybe it's just written off automatically. That's another possibility. Well, it's interesting that you say use the word eyewitness, okay? Because you're right. In a court of law, eyewitnesses can put somebody in jail. Yeah. However, in ufology, you are a contactee. They don't use the word eyewitness. They use the word contactee, abductee, experiencer, whatever. Hmm. Now, it would be interesting if they started to use the word eyewitness in relation to people who are contactees and experiencers because maybe there would be more credibility in the field, but they don't. You use the word experience or contact objectivity. Now, don't get me wrong. There are many people who are frauds in this field who say they've had experiences and, and really haven't, and it's hard to read through a lot of that. And okay. I understand that in this field. So people who are, you know, researchers, you know, you have to step back for a second and say, okay, what kind of facts do we have? You know, like in Travis Walton case, you had a few other people who – were witnesses to the event. So he has a little bit more credibility. Now, there are many experiencers who don't have that kind of credibility. They don't have a police report. They don't have four or five other eyewitnesses. They just have what happened to them, their individual story. Those are the people that are in the masses in this field, and those are the people that are kicked to the sidelines from majority of these big-name researchers because they don't have that. And, again, if we started using the word, and I, I agree with you, Paul, on that, if we use the word eyewitness more when it, in relation to these individuals, I think there'd be more credibility um, given to them and their experiences. Okay. Why don't we throw a bit of a metal tool into the gears here? Um, and for what it's worth, I just wanted to bring up that two big names in 
the field among researchers have told us in confidence that they are, in fact, experiencers. And I don't feel at liberty to give the names. Uh, but if that became known, they believe it would cloud the issue and distract attention from their, from their research, which they want to try to make objective. So, I mean, the, the point being that I mean, if, if that's, I have no reason to believe that's not true. So if they really are experiencers and don't talk about it, what, what, what kind of a twist does that put on the issue? Well, it's simple. It just goes to me. It just goes to strengthen my case and the fact that, you know, how experiencers are looked in this field. If these guys are well-known researchers or, or ladies, whoever they are, if they're well-researchers and they're afraid to open their mouth and say they're an experiencer, then to me that tells me, again, what this field has become. If you're, you, you can't use the word experience or contactee because people look at you differently. I would rather be a researcher and be on every TV show there is than to say I'm an experiencer and be blacklisted. Interesting. Okay. Do you think that 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 attitude that we are discussing now, that um, you know, there really isn't much maybe credibility, either the eyewitnesses aren't taken seriously, experiences aren't taken seriously, do you think there is a credibility factor not only in this field, but with, with uh, experiencers of anything strange, uh, and that the objective view that researchers try to present may have some benefit, although certainly not for the experiencers themselves. I don't know if I'm making myself clear, but is, it, uh, is, is there something good about someone who's a researcher maybe being more objective by not being ex- an experiencer, or is, is that not a valid point? No, there is. I mean, there's a two-edged sword to that. And, you know, You're I've been right, very right. vocal. You know, I've been very vocal about the fact that, you know, as a researcher myself, I mean, and having my own personal experiences, you know, I have to look at it from both, both sides of the coin. Um, you know, I can't produce a dead body. I can't produce an alien. Yet at the same time, I can't change fundamentally what happened to me. So as a researcher, you're trying to look for, you know, the, the nuts and bolts, the, the facts, let's say, in the case. Okay. And there's very few there's very few facts and it's hard. But at the same time, is when you're an experiencer, you know, you you want to be able to get a little bit of a credibility. And the problem I have, like I said, with some of these people who are um, researchers, is they automatically dismiss majority of the contactee experiences. They would rather go relive or go reinvestigate um, Roswell, you know, Rendlesham Forest, you know, these these big UFO cases. When right in front of you, there are many, many cases of contactees or experiencers that, yeah, okay, great, you can't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt um, this happened. But then again, you're researching Roswell, you're researching all these things, which, again, you know, as a researcher, you have to look at it and say, you know what, there is nothing that says beyond a reasonable doubt this even happened. But you're okay researching that because you can get a piece of paper in front of you that says it has a government-issued form on it. But because a contactee has a written, you know, disclaimer of what happened to them, that gets tossed out. Okay. Do you see progress in the in the uh, creation of such institutions as the Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial uh, Extraterrestrial Experiences? I believe that's what it is, F R E E, which involved right. names such as Dr. Edgar Mitchell, recently passed away, uh, astronaut who. Went to the moon and, and, uh, you know, you name the folks, uh, who were involved yeah, in that. Uh, Ray, Ray, Ray Hernandez, yeah, all, all very sincere folks seemingly to us. Um, is that progress? 
because of the, of the surveys they've been making, and, and, and I've actually been asked to get involved as an interviewer, that sort of thing. Um, so they've got surveys, and uh, they're cataloging information from experiencers, asking for reports uh, for people to come forward. Do you see that as progress, or is that uh, just more well, of the same in a different form? I think I think we have to leave the book open on that one until everything is put forth. Okay. Do I like the Do I like the idea of it? Yes. But again, if it is a handful of researchers who are putting this all together, then going to put it in a book form, and then those handful of individuals are the ones that are going to be speaking at all these conferences. We're at the same paradigm. I hear you. Yeah. Okay. Let's switch gears then. Uh, we can certainly come back to that, but l- let's switch gears in the sense about uh, you know your own experiences, if you don't mind talking about them, and what you have had to face as an experiencer. And, and I understand uh, that when you moved from uh, this area, uh, southeastern New England, to Las Vegas in 08, was it? Um, you had experiences after that point, and can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, I, mean, I, had, I had experiences when I was in, actually in Massachusetts, and it's interesting because I grew up in a, a small little town of Winchenden, Massachusetts, which is okay. less than 20, 20 minutes from where the Andrew Gracian affair took place. Right. Um, so, you know, she took, it was in Ashmanham, which is 15, 20 minutes from where I grew up, uh, around the same time when I was a child, and I had experiences. But I was always told that it was just uh, your overactive imagination, an angel, whatever, because very Catholic, but right. the most specific things of physically being taken took place when I moved out here yeah, in Vegas in 2008. It was actually January of 2009 when I had my first major experience. And I've been very vocal talking about my experiences, probably not as much as I probably should, and, and a lot of that has to do with the backlash that comes from within ufology. And again, this goes back to not just the, the fact that you are... Uh, the black sheep when it comes to some of these researchers, but also the the attack that you get in ufology itself. Um, there are many different experiences, and again, it goes back to you know this whole paradigm of what is an experience or what is a contactee, what is an abductee, depending on what you want to term it. Um, I call myself a contactee. Well, there are many out there who have had negative experiences use the word abductee. I don't like to use that word, but unfortunately in this field, I've always said that if it, it's like mainstream media news. If it bleeds, it leads. Well, it's the same with contactees. If you're not taken by the grave and, and being probed and, and tested and all this stuff here, or there's not you know black helicopters and all this, you don't get the acknowledgement, especially if you've had a positive experience like I had. Um, for whatever reason in this field, a lot of the positive contactee experiences are, are thrown to the wayside as you're a new age freak. And I can tell you right now that I'm not and I've gotten to the point with my experiences that I no longer try to convince people either way. That's probably one of my, you know, biggest reasons why in this field there are different abductees, contactees who don't like what I have to say because I will be the first one to say, listen, as a researcher, if I'm in the crowd listening to myself speak, I'm thinking, this girl's nuts. She's crazy. Mm-hmm. I, and I understand that, you know, because I don't have the physical proof, per se, that a lot of these, uh, some of the, a few of these cases, like the Travis Walton case and a few others have, but I no longer try to prove to people. I'm like, listen, you, you listen to what I have to say, either believe it or not, I don't care either way. I can't change what happened to me. I'm not going to change your position either way. That's not my job. My job is to just share my story, and if it's something mm-hmm. that I say resonates with you in any form or 
way, great. Then, you know, apparently I've done my job. Uh, but my experiences were very positive. Um, I dealt with two beings, uh, the elder and Amy. Amy I've come to know as the girl that was, would sit on the edge of my bed when I was a kid, and we'd have conversations, and I didn't understand that. And that lasted until I was about 11 or 12. Um, the elder is the person that I met. This gentleman, um, I, I can't even begin to describe the, the, the absolute feeling of love of being around this, this individual, this, the, the vibrational frequency that he resonates um, when you're around him is just absolutely incredible. But when you come back um, to Earth, as I would say, because I said I was on the craft, when you come back, you just feel like there's a gap, there's something missing in your life. Um, after being around him for any length of time. And what was interesting is the, the first time that I was ever taken, uh, I met Amy. I was taken out of my house physically into a craft, into a room that was, I don't want to say a medical day, but it was more of a medical-like facility, this little room. There was a doctor there. Amy was there. And it was a very short visit. It was just I was given a shot in my leg. To this day, I still have the mark in my leg, the, the bump in my leg. Um, I hate needles, and I was given the shot to the point where Amy told me that I needed to have the shot to raise the vibrational frequency of me in, in order to spend any time around the elder. But she said there'd be great benefits from this. Now, one of the great benefits is, since I've had the shot in 2009, I've not been sick one day. I have no, you know, no cold, no flu, no nothing. And I've been around people with the flu, like, breathe on me, try to get me sick, mm. and I haven't been sick. Now, could it just be because fundamentally I changed because of my experiences? I changed, became a vegetarian, watch what I eat, exercise. Maybe that that could be part of the part of it as well. But uh, I truly believe that the the shot that I was giving and people say you have an implant. I'm like I don't know. I you know I I didn't check. I don't I'm not going to get an X-ray to see if there's an implant in there. There's still a bump there on my leg. It's been there since 2009. What was interesting is. I had a doctor's appointment scheduled a few days later, and you don't go into the doctor's office and say, can you check my leg? Because I think I got a shot from an alien. <laughs> it doesn't really work. It doesn't work out well if you do that. But I asked the doctor, can you look at that? I think I got an ingrown hair. And she looked at it, and she looked at it, and she brought her little microscope-type whatever magnifying glass over, looked at it again. And the first thing she said to me, which really kind of hit home because I didn't say anything, and she goes, did you recently have a shot with one of those high, new high-pressure needles? And I'm like, uh, no, I wasn't going to tell her, yeah, and they were aliens. But um, I said, no. And she said, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. She goes, well, you know, maybe I'll send you down for a biopsy and have a look. I'm like, no, no, fine, I'll, I'll let it go and we'll see what happens or whatever and stuff. But uh, the fact that she kind of confirmed with me what I already knew was uh, kind of significant. But for me, my, my um, conversations with the elder were, I don't want to say in the spiritual nature because when you use spiritual here on earth, people lump it into religion and, and you know, 4,000 plus different variations of religion on this planet, and you say spiritual, people freak out, but I'm a very spiritual person now because of those experiences, those conversations I had with the elder, and we talked about everything from, you know, religion on this planet to to money, um, to everything, and, and, you know, here I am, you know, Miss, Miss Big Ego thinking, oh, I'm teaching aliens all about earth. And it wasn't until about the ninth meeting I had with him, because I'd been taken 13 times, but it was the ninth meeting with him that I realized that it had nothing to do with me, like teaching him. They were teaching me. 
they were mm-hmm. fundamentally changing me and putting me on the path that I'm on today. All right. Uh, I'm going to stop you there for just a minute because we have to take our break, uh, Tina. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley, which Tina knows well. And we'll be right back. Stay with us. Broadcasting live and local daily from the Anchor Nissan Anchor Subaru Broadcast Studio on Park Avenue, this is WOON Woonsocket Radio. Okay, well, that's our break. So uh, we're going to talk about some of the um, charities Ben and I have adopted on the show. We'll talk about that during our announcement period. Uh, Many of them are veteran-related, both U.S. and Canada, and certainly some um, in Haiti as well, and some great stuff out in the West Coast in Los Angeles. So uh, keep listening till the end of the show, and we'll tell you about those. So, uh, Tina, let's get back to our conversation. And um, let me just ask you, uh, one of the things we always say is that – Nothing in the paranormal is what it appears to be, but it seems that the, the overwhelmingly positive nature of your experience as you describe it, especially the word love you used, uh, that cuts ice with us personally. And um, it, so you, you really believe that this is what it appears to be, these experiences? And the second part of the question, do you still have meetings with these two beings? Um, well, let me answer the second question first. It, it's been... It's been a couple of years uh, since I've had experiences with him, but I, actually, I shouldn't say that because I talked about an experience that happened about 10 days ago, and I, I can't, I'm trying to grasp whether or not it was just a, a dream or a manifestation of um, something I, I wish would happen, but um, it's been about two years, and I think a lot of that has to do with one of the, the things the elder said to me is, you know, we can put you on the path, but we can't walk it for you. And I, I literally think that what I'm doing now, the bringing people together on KCUR, the, the network I now own, um, sharing my story. I think this is the path they wanted me to be on. And that's why I haven't really had much contact. I know they're around. Um, in fact, it was interesting because I had a psychic in our studio, our KCUR studio, and I had an artist do a rendition or a drawing of the elder, and I have it hanging up in the studio. So what is the nature? Uh, I'm sorry. Well, as soon as she came into the studio, she saw the picture of the elder, and she just was thrown back, and she's like, she goes, you know he's here right now. And then she proceeded to make comments about the elder, because he's saying certain things, and she mentioned certain things to me that I had never said publicly to anybody um, about the experience I had with him. And she said, he wants you to know this, and she she made a few references, and I was kind of back for like okay like you know somebody could have done research before they got in the studio here because it was on another show it wasn't even on my show but she could have done research and said okay well let me you know but she wouldn't have known i had a picture of the elder in the studio she may not have known the elder um but she said information which i thought was interesting that i've never shared publicly with people and that kind of had me step back there for a second when it came to that but all right being yeah positive experiences yeah i understand for a lot of people you know and, and when I tell people this ultimate feeling of love, I mean, again, we, we are so caught up in this religious aspect of this world. Um, you know, 90, 95% of the people on this planet believe in some form of religion. The problem is majority, if not all of religions, are man-made. They have nothing to do with the deities or anything like that. They're all written by man um, for man. I know I'm going to piss off a lot of people that are in religion, but they are. If you do your homework, you, you'll, you'll see that a majority of the stuff and people try to quote the Bible, and I'm not going to get into debate about the Bible. Um, I tell people I've read it twice. I've read the Quran. I've read, you know, I've studied Buddhism. I've studied the Torah. 
you can believe what you want. I'm not going to get in a debate about that. But to me, if a, a book was supposedly written by a deity, there wouldn't be contradictions in it. And there's too many contradictions in it for me to be say that it was written by a deity. But. Well, uh, all right. Well, that that's maybe another another subject. But uh, <laughs> as far but as far as um, the nature of these beings, would you call them aliens? And and what does the term alien alien really mean? Yeah, I, I, they are aliens. Uh, they've been monitoring this planet for a while. Um, no, alien in the sense it. of from another planet. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Phys- physical and planet. Know, You're not talking in, inter, inter-world here or inter-dimensional, uh, as people no, sometimes call no. it. That, that is something a lot of the old-time research, as far as I'm concerned, are started to get into yeah. uh, to stay relevant in the field. They've gotten away from, oh, they're aliens, to, oh, let's talk interdimensional beings or let's talk this or quantum physics because they want to stay relevant in the field. Do I think there are aspects of people having contact with interdimensional beings? Absolutely. We have to keep that all open and understand that there's, there's you know, unlimited possibilities. But what I think is interesting is some of these researchers have now dismissed saying, well, they can't come from another world. Um, they're interdimensional beings because of, the, because of the distance. Well, that's right. There is a huge distance. And the problem is you are using our technology, you're using our limited um, grasp of physics and quantum mechanics to justify that they can travel this kind of distance. You know what? Um, you talked to anybody 100 years ago and you told them you were going to go land on the moon, they would have said, no, it's impossible, we can't do it. We don't have, you know, that, that, that's alien in nature. Well, we did it, okay? So does that make us aliens because we were able to do it? No, it just makes us more advanced. So I think the problem is we have, you know, and what's interesting about my experiences is people always ask me, well, where are they from? What kind of species or beings are they? And I'm like, listen, they, they're, for me, they were very human looking. Um, their eyes were almost glowed, but they were incredibly, incredible blue eyes. I can't even begin to describe the, the looking into them. But they were human in nature. The elder was around 6'4", six, 6'6". Six, six. Amy was around almost six feet tall. Um, they weren't tall whites. They they weren't really Nordics. Um, I personally think they were um, a form of light beings that were manifest- manifesting themselves as human beings in order to make it easier for me to communicate with them. That's just kind of my take on it. Um, but they were they did a physical form. I was physically up there, and, and um, but when I when asked when I asked them about you know their where they're from. And the the elder, again, he didn't speak. He thought vocal communication was a primitive form of communication. Everything he did was telepathy. And he just, he kind of, in a way, chuckled to the point where he said, he says, you, you people who want to put labels on everything. He said, listen, he goes, I can't, because I can show you where we're from, but to tell you where we're from wouldn't make sense to you. Because you use your words. We don't call Earth, Earth. You call Earth, Earth. You call the Milky Way, Milky Way. We don't call it that. We call it something totally different. We have a different vocabulary than you. And so he says, for me to tell you, oh, we're from theta reticuli, would be absolutely false, because we're not. That's, that's not the terms that we would use, that you use. Every being has their own form of communication, their own form of reference when it comes to planets and the stars. So for us to say, yeah, this is it, doesn't make sense. So when I hear a lot of contactees that know for without a shadow of a doubt that, that these beings are from this planet, to this planet, this planet, those are earthly-based terms. So how would they know they're from there? Because those beings aren't saying 
they don't call zeta reticuli zeta reticuli. <laughs> you okay. know, they call it something totally different. And so they showed me on a star map where they're from. They've been here for thousands of years monitoring this planet um, for many different reasons. But they do go back and forth, and their, their physics, he goes, I remember him telling me and showing me, because I, I can show you the physics of, of travel, how we were able to travel such vast distances very quickly. He goes, hey, I'll show you the mathematics, but you don't have a basis of our mathematics. You don't have a basis of our, our vocabulary. He goes, so to you, it's just going to be nothing more than gibberish. And I remember him showing me, and I'm just like, I mean, it looked like chicken scratch. That's what it looked like. Yeah, I you know I couldn't even begin to write it or, or write it down or whatever because I don't have a grasp of their, you know, their writing, their vocabulary. I just don't have a grasp of that. So when people ask me, you know, where they're from, where'd you come up with the Elder and Amy? And I'm like, those are terms that I put on them for reference point. Again, those are you know, it's not their names. I mean, they, their names are more of a vibrational frequency. They don't use the words that we use, um, you know, for example, everything here on this planet vibrates at a particular frequency. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a table, you, you know, whatever, everything vibrates at a frequency. And that's how they associate who everybody is, because they vibrate at a particular frequency. The, the, the notion of this vibrational frequency stuff, now we've been dealing uh, for years with guests who talk like that, and, may, and maybe it's just our own lack of understanding, but... Um, I, I don't, and of all people who would know what that means, I, I would give you the credit for that, Tina, because you're one of the more intelligent people we know. Um, but could you explain what does it mean about vibrations and frequency? Now I'm thinking back to ancient Greek philosophy, like the earliest thinkers, uh, particularly among the Greeks, thought that really everything was musical. And the creation might have occurred through some sort of music or, or vibra- if you want to say vibrations or frequencies or whatever. Could you talk a little bit about what that really means? Everybody throws the term around, but at least we don't understand it. So could you talk a bit okay. about that? Um, I can just relate it through the experiences I had with the elder and the way he tried to describe it to me. If you take a plate, for example, I mean, there's a great video that's on YouTube where if you take a plate and throw a bunch of sand on it oh, yeah. and you run a vibrational frequency through it, it creates different images, correct? Yep. So each image has its own frequency. Well, it's the same with us. Um, when we look at each other, you know, we have an image of who people are. Um, and that image is nothing more than a, a moment in time that's vibrating at a particular frequency. Light vibrates at a frequency. Sound vibrates at a frequency. So we only see, like for example, like 10% of the visual light because our eyes can only perceive that because of the frequencies that things vibrate in. A dog whistle blows. We can't hear it, but we know it blows because the dogs can hear that frequency. There are many different frequencies, and the problem with is our ego on this planet as humans make us believe that we are the supreme beings on this planet, that right. we know everything. And we don't. And we're learning every single day different things when it comes to what a frequency is. These okay. beings when it, uh, vibrate at a much higher frequency. It's sort of like, you know, we're, we're stuck in, you know, ham operator. You know, we're a ham operator. We're an AM frequency. But, you know, you have FM frequency. You have high-definition frequency. Now, you can run a signal through all three of these frequencies, and if you're on AM, you're not going to hear the FM, 
Okay. Well, it's the same thing that, you know, our bodies vibrate at frequencies. And I honestly believe that this is why some people can see UFOs and some people can't, that their bodies are naturally vibrating at a, a different frequency that either relates to the being or relates to the experience they're having. So what, what so what's when, vibrating? Molecules, atoms, what? Um, kind of our essence. Not so much our molecules. It's, it's our essence, our, our I don't like to use the word spirit because it, can, it goes into this whole religious aspect, but basically that's well, kind of what it is. Yeah. Um, we are, you know, we all have our own essence. Okay, I'll use the word essence, our own essence. Animus and the, the, the Greek sense. Yeah, um, basically. And, you know, so when we, when we die, um, you know, we're, we're just inhabiting these human sh- shells, you know, we're, we're naturally going to vibrate at a frequency. Um, if you really want to get into the, the spiritual realm of it, you know, people say about heaven and hell. I mean, so you could get and say, well, you know, those people who go to hell vibrate at a lower frequency, those people who go to heaven vibrate at a higher frequency. Um, yeah, and all that. it is is that just certain people, you know, when people talk about meditation, you know, opening the chakras, being able to tap into that astral plane, I guess, if you want to say, they're vibrating at a higher frequency. They're, they're tapping into something higher than what we can allocate. And I honestly believe that everything that you do on this planet results in the frequency that you vibrate at. It's everything from what you eat, exercise, meditation, all this stuff results in a frequency that you vibrate. Can you change your frequency? Yes, you can. I, I truly believe that you can. That if you decide you're going to evolve, um, you're going to vibrate at a different frequency. And if you, I, I think if you actually did a test on humans, if you could go back and test the humans um, from, let's say, even 150, 200 years ago and do a test on them and say, okay, where are they vibrating at frequency-wise to where we are now? We're, we're all slowly evolving, and as we evolve, we vibrate at a higher frequency. Okay, and right. we like to use, we use frequency and vibrate, we like to use the word, you know, molecules and all that stuff, but I tell people there's no difference between a table, you, and air. All it is is just the, the vibration, the, the, the frequencies that are vibrating at a much faster or slower speed. Yeah, I get that. Different. Yeah, okay. So all right, we're uh, all just kind of vibrating faster. Uh, we're burning up the hour here, and before I bring Ben in on this discussion, I wanted to give you a chance, Tina, to talk about your books, your website, and uh, where people can find out more about you. Um, well, they can really, if you really want to find out about me, they can come over where, where you've been on, I don't know how many times, on the different shows, but uh, yeah. KCOR Radio. They go to kcorradio.com. That is my network. We have all kinds of great shows, great hosts. I think we're up to about almost 27 hosts now. Yeah, there are the some great shows, absolutely. Yeah. You know, great programming over there. Um, if they want to find out more about me, they can go to restrictedairspaceradio.org, and they can find out about me. I'm still working. My editor is killing me because she's totally upset. Um, the book, We Are Not Gods, I should have been out by now, but I've deleted 190 pages twice, and as author, you can appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and uh, so hopefully that will be out, but they can go links to my books, um, Alien Deceptions, which is a fiction book. Mm, I'll use the I use that loosely term fiction book, but it has to deal with some stuff with Area 51. It was more convenient to put stuff as a fiction than it was to put it as fact. Working on the follow up to that, which is um, the uh, 
uh, Project Decor, which has to deal with the underground bases. Again, it's a, it's a fiction book, and I put that in quotations um, just to be on the safe side. But they also have a kid's book called um, Case of the Missing Sneaker, if you like uh, really interesting kid's books. Interesting. Okay. All right. Uh, now, but this, just before I want to, because I want to get into something else in our last few minutes, but Ben, you have a degree in audio engineering. What's your take on what Tina said regarding frequencies? Well, I mean, there are all kinds of different frequencies out there because you have radio waves, you have microwaves, and all these different things, you have brain waves. But honestly, <clears throat> I'm not sure. Um, I feel as if, or feel, feel, I, I think, the way, the way I think about frequencies, I think of them in the audio spectrum, so between 20 hertz and 20 kilohertz, then the thing that, that confuses me is how, how one perceives one's existence. If you perceive it all entirely in these frequencies and you change frequencies and vibrations, then <clears throat> if all molecules are indeed vibrating, it's hard to tell what somebody needs. Because it's it's hard to explain the nature of existence, especially when you're talking about stuff like this. So we reach for terms to understand what we're experiencing. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe. Well, but look, well, let me ask you this then. So you have a degree in audio, so don't I? Okay. So yes. Let's say. So I'm going to go to a village in the Amazon and explain to them about high-definition frequencies. Right. Would, would they have a grasp of concept of that? They, uh, you know, probably yes. Because they would it, have a grasp of concept. So a, a society that has never even seen a cell phone would perceive you as a god because you can talk into a cell phone would have an understanding of HD frequency? No, they would not. They would not have no idea of technology because they've never experienced it. So what you're doing is you're basing, again, this is the problem we have on this planet. We like to lump things in based on what we know, not what we don't know. I guarantee you, 100 years from now, nobody is going to be talking about HD frequencies. They're going to be like, what? What are you talking about HD? I mean, that's so AM, you know? And that's the problem is we like to lump everything in to what we know and not what could be possibility. I, I, I hear that. Well, I'd like to move on to another question. We can continue the duel of the audio engineers uh, at some point uh, in the future. It's no, good, it's not it's as if I don't agree with you, by the way. I'm yeah. just, it's, it's hard for me to understand because I learn terms in a different way that it's hard to speak with somebody who defines the term in a different way. You know what I mean? It, you just, uh, you know you just defined the problem of the Western epistemology, I think, or any epistemology. Well, that, <laughs> Nailed it. Well, no, I mean, that, that, that's the thing is, trust me, as a, as a researcher who has experience in, you know, like I said, I have my, my degree is in TV radio, okay? So that is my degree. I've worked in FM radio. I've worked in AM radio. I've worked in TV. So when you have conversations and you have somebody, uh, an elder, explaining to you about frequencies, and trust me, I, I was trying to grasp this concept, and I still try to grasp this concept, because I'm trying to base my knowledge of what I've known from book form on a technology that's so far more advanced than we are. It's very hard to define something, because we don't have a definition yet for it on this planet. Okay. Great. Let, let, let's just move on. We'll continue that on another show. But I wanted to just uh, return to the idea of experiencers, Tina. Where do you see this all going? Are things improving for experiences? Are they being taken more seriously, at least in some areas? Uh, is it getting better or is it getting worse for experiences? 
my personal take is I think it's gotten worse. Really? Yeah, I, I think we have to throw out the term ufology. I think we need to create a new definition of it. I think we need to shift paradigms from the current aspect models of ufology that we have with these so-called researchers in the field who are so afraid to brace or, or grasp the concept of a contact to your experience, especially a positive one. It's interesting how they're so quick to grasp the, the negative aspect, the, oh, the graves have abducted me, the reptilians. They're so easy to grasp that. But when it moves into a more positive or a more, um, and again, I, I hate to use the word spiritual because people get the wrong definition of this, but when it moves into that, it becomes a new age movement that nobody wants to talk about. Okay. What cautions would you voice to someone who believes they have had a contact or an experience? I guess my biggest warning I would give to people who have had contact or experiences, be careful of who you talk to. Mm. Are you talking um, about to be careful of who you talk to uh, among what they think are field. aliens or among the human beings? Among human beings. Be careful of who you talk to when it comes to people in the field of ufology. There are many who are going to make you feel warm and fuzzy. There are many who are going to say, I'd love to put your story in a book, and they will be your best friend That's true. until the book gets published. Yep. As soon as the book gets published, they don't care. They don't care about you. What they do care about is selling books, going on coast to coast, and going to all these conventions and selling books and, and talking about your story. And a lot of times they're going to have you sign a release saying that they own the rights to your story. And there's a lot of that that goes on in this field, a lot of that. Oh, that's true. But I like to think there are some who have um, better hearts than that uh, among authors. Uh, you know, but that's me. I'm the eternal optimist. Uh, Tina, I think what I was um, wanted to ask, too, as part of that question was, um, should people take their experiences at face value? Is there nothing out there that deserves distrust? Oh, absolutely. There, there are many people in this field that I think are complete frauds. Oh, no, no. I'm talking about among, among the, the ones who are contacting you who claim to be aliens or are aliens. I mean, I'm saying, you know, the, the legitimacy of the experience. Uh, you know, uh, do you trust every being? I mean, you're, saying, you're telling us not, not to trust humans, and I agree with you. Right. Uh, should you even be, even be more cautious, perhaps, about something that's claiming to contact you from another realm, so to speak? I think anybody who calls themselves an experience or contact or abductee, the way I determine whether somebody is a true experience or contact or abductee is somebody who questions every aspect of their experience. Do I think that my experience is nothing more than a psychotic break? Absolutely. You have to throw that in the mix. As a researcher, I have to put that out there and say, yeah, you know what, this really didn't happen maybe. Or if it did happen, maybe these are positive beings. Maybe they are negative beings with screen memories of being a positive experience. I mean, you have to throw all that out there until you know for a fact. Can you really know for a fact in the end? Or is is there really a matter of, for lack of a better term, faith in the end? Um, Faith is such a... uh, 
it's a biblical term. Well, uh, it is what it is. I mean, it, it's it's a legitimate term in the English language, as you know. And it's it's. it's right. I mean, I think ultimately all scientists, all believers in anything, uh, you know, evidence or no, uh, have to take what they say on faith. I mean, getting back to Descartes. You, you could get into well, that. that. I mean, even he at the right. end said, you know, he just don't know. Well, I mean, ufology has become, become that almost. It's become a religion almost. Yeah, um, most so, things do. You know, and they're, you know, people follow people for, for whatever reason. You know, maybe they, they're getting videos, shooting videos of UFOs every night. They become followers. Oh, my God, look at this person's got this. Or, you know, people who follow particular contactees because of their experience. Sure. You know, I look at it this way. I can't change what happened to me. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I had experiences. I'm looking for answers. And, you know, there's a reason on my show, Restricted Airspace, I use the term, question everything, trust no one. Right. That's my tagline I've used forever. And I still truly believe that. And I mean, when I tell people that, I mean, that includes me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And anybody, to me, if you're in this field of a contact your experiencer, run from anybody that has all the answers, because right. they don't. No, I agree. I agree. Okay, Tina, we're just about out of time. Uh, great discussion. That, that opened up possibilities for lots more shows, which we'll do. So thank you very much. And, uh, again, why don't you give us your websites one more time? Sure. It's uh, restrictedairspaceradio.org, or the best way to get a hold of me, actually, because I'm so busy on the network, is uh, kcrradio.com. You can go check out there, listen to the live feed, and uh, – you know, just want to give a shout-out to all the troops that are out there. Um, and you get a chance this weekend, you see somebody in uniform, even even during the year, take a minute, go up to them. I always do. Shake their hand, thank them for their service. Because Absolutely. They, allow, they Absolutely. allow us to do what we do. That's right. Great thought. Tina, thanks a lot. We'll be talking. And um, Thank you, guys. All right, very good. Indeed. Okay, Ben, take away as far as the announcements are concerned. Already, we have much going on. Our next public appearance will be at the uh, Connecticut Gathering of the Paranormal in Windsor Locks on Saturday and Sunday, July 23rd and 24th. Uh, we will speak on Saturday, then on Sunday, and we will host the weekly edition of this show with a panel of all the speakers before a live audience. Also speaking will be our friend William J. Hall, author of The World's Most Haunted House and The Haunted House Diaries. Now, this event will benefit the Queen of Hearts Thoroughbred Retirement Farm in Maine. Okay, and September 3rd and 4th, that's not that far away, uh, we'll be on the docket once again at the Exeter UFO Festival in Exeter, New Hampshire. Um, that is a wonderful event sponsored by the Exeter Kiwanis Club for the benefit of local children's charities. So if you're anywhere near there, uh, walk in, ride your horse, drive, fly in, whatever, and we'll see you there. It's a great event, a lot of fun. In October, we'll speak at the MUFON event, a Mutual UFO Network in Philadelphia, uh, and at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonston, Massachusetts. Once again, that's also in October. And we'll give uh, more information as these dates approach. Meanwhile, find out more about this show, our public appearances, and more at BehindTheParanormal.com. And you will find also there over 650 free recorded shows uh, from both here on ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Lots to to do on that site. Uh, Our forthcoming book, if you want to take that one back. I shall. Our forthcoming book, originally titled Cosmic Journey, now behind the paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is slated for release by Schiffer Publishing in January, and there will be a release party of some sort, and uh, we will let you know about that. And we, uh, you can also find my dad's books 
at Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, and Barnes and Noble Nook. But if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, that is uh, <coughs> that will keep all of our podcasts free, and we will even sign them for you. Also, on our website, you'll find direct links to several charities that my dad and I have adopted, including USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, as well as Youth Mentoring Connections in Los Angeles, doing great things for at-risk youth. That's youthmentoring.org and helpforhaiti.com, if you'd like to say something about that, Dad. Uh, yes, actually, um, I was in Haiti in the line of duty in, in 1984, also doing some research on uh, zombies and voodooism at the same time, and it was really... Um, my heart went out to those people. And after the earthquake, which I believe was in 05, they still have not recovered from that. Uh, there are all sorts of wonderful things HelpForHaiti.com does. I know the people who run it, some of them anyway, and uh, that I can certainly uh, vouch that, that the money that you donate to them goes to the children who need it uh, and not to some administration costs. And some, but, but, but very, very little. So the money gets where you want it to go. Uh, also, uh, two books of special interest to our local listeners. We mention these every week. We hope you'll buy them. Uh, one is uh, The Bell Witch Project, uh, which, was, um, which contains the story of uh, some um, very, very old New England UFO, uh, UFO and uh, generally, quote-unquote, supernatural experiences from the early days of uh, our region here. And uh, that's published by Global Communications, uh, Tim Beckley's publishing company. It's available on Amazon.com. Uh, also, the same uh, publishing company has UFO repeaters with an entire chapter on our old friend Joe Ferrier, who was a talk show host here on ON for over 50 years, and we miss him a lot. Great, great fellow. Uh, most recently, um, there's another book, too. Uh, there you can check out uh, Spooky Treasure Troves. It's an interesting title, but it's some interesting stuff. So next Sunday, June 5th, uh, we'll bring you an open line show to answer many questions we have received from listeners, and we hope that our colleague Shane Searway will join us, uh, but he might be traveling. Uh, okay, so, we leave. So, All right. Uh, well, okay. uh, well, you see, we can, no, never mind. All right. Just ignore me. Well, I won't do that, but anyway, we leave you this afternoon with a rather cute quote from American journalist Sidney J. Harris. Uh, when I hear someone sigh, life is hard, I am always tempted to ask, Compared with what? I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.